Blog Talk Radio. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, boys and ghouls, step right up. Behind this curtain lies a ghastly concoction of delight, horror, fantasy, and terror. Your every wish is our command. Your every whimsical desire brought to life. But I'm warning you, there's always a price. Welcome to the greatest And welcome back to the greatest show on earth that is Talking Terror. As always, I'm your old pal, the king of horror, Andy G. Welcome you to this episode of the show, where tonight we're going to be talking about the Gooby Keith film pick of the week from 2023, The Pope's Exorcist, directed by Julius Cuckoo. Avery. What could possibly go wrong? Cuckoo. Because it's, it's fat, Russell Crowe. It makes everything better when he's fat. Every movie just gets better when you just see his just fat gut in the scene. So I'm excited Cuckoo. to talk about that a little later on in the show. But, of course, I can hear the cuckoos, which means only one thing. We're joined by the bold and the beautiful, the Google Geek East. Oh, fuck me, fuck me, fuck me. You want to fuck me, father? Fuck my mom, fuck my dad, fuck my sister, fuck it all. Oh, fuck, 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 fuck. Hello, everybody, and welcome. Talking terror. <laughs> want some of mommy's milk. Right from mm. the top. <laughs> Mama's milk. <laughs> you didn't breastfeed me, bitch. <laughs> Oh, that poor, poor breast. Just not getting fed. But, you know, of course, uh, we are not going to be joined by the Dean tonight because he has another makeup basketball game. Uh, so he should be back no. next week for his film pick of the week. That will announce. Uh, but who knows? He didn't show up for Fox Gourmet, so he might not show up for the next one either. And he'll just be like, ha, ah, fooled you. Got Which a is football the Fox game to go Gourmet to. Part 2, of course, because Fox Gourmet was his favorite movie ever of all time. You know, I believed him when he said it. When he said Flux Gourmet 2, I was like, holy shit, they made a fucking sequel. And I was like, no, that can't be right. He's like, ah, just kidding. We'll talk about this other movie. But, you know, of course, for a second, I was like, you know, the ghoul and I are just going to commit murder-suicide if we have to fucking watch that. It's just, it's going to happen. Like, I'm just going to fucking blow my brains out and he could do the same thing. I don't know. We're just, I can't make it through a part two of Flux Gourmet. I can barely make it through the first one. Yeah, no, I, uh, I, I'm, kind of, I'm kind of with you on that. When I first saw it, I was like, wow, dude, for the split second in my head, I was like, oh, shit, they made a sequel, and fuck, they found it, and we are going to have to watch this. At that point, I started, you know, uh, trying to figure out how I could get embalmed rectally, um, because I feel like that would probably be a more pleasurable experience than than anything involving... Anything with Flux Gourmet. <clears throat> yeah, I was going to say that uh, I have a basketball game to go to next week. That I just found out that I'm coaching a, a scrappy young uh, basketball team, and we're going to head into yes. the, uh, the mountains. So, so you know, I'm mean, not going to be back for a week. So, but the Andes um, Mountain. The mm-hmm. Andes Mountain, which is just my ass cheeks that planes keep flying <laughs> into for some reason because it's so supple. Wow. If only I didn't have a supple butthole. That's a problem. It's just it's too perfect and round, and planes just keep fucking thinking it's a landing strip, and it's not. It's my butthole. Planes oh, keep wow. going. I keep telling you, bro. It's like the Bermuda Triangle in there, man. You got you got to stop stuffing the zucchini. Yeah, but where else am I going to put it? I don't have a crisper. Mm. I, I, I get it. Fresh, fresh vegetables. It's, it's, it's rough. Yeah, I just I, I don't have. Uh, 
CRISPR. So I just shove it on my ass, and it keeps them fucking warm. And that's the way you want to eat zucchini. You want to eat it cold. You want to eat it fucking warm. Get that white flavor right. Problems, man. <laughs> Get that flavor right. Absolutely. Straight out just of hand. Taste. It's just like that fucking South Park episode where Randy was using all the bits and pieces of the leftover marijuana to make the fucking Beyond Burgers. He's like, it tastes like shit. You won't care. It's exactly what my zucchini tastes like. Tastes like shit, but you won't care. Because it'll be healthy for you. <laughs> so one of the things I wanted to talk about, just to kick it off, because once again, when the ghoul and I are alone, we fucking like to talk about wrestling. Because Dean's not here to fall asleep or make fun of us. And, of course, this Saturday night is the premier road to WrestleMania, the Royal fucking Rumble. It's happening on Saturday night. I can't be any more excited about it. The Monkey, when he used to do the show, it was his favorite fucking pay-per-view. So I know that the three of us will be chatting in the group chat. Um, but do you have any predictions on, on who you think is going to take the whole thing and move on to uh, WrestleMania? Goldberg. That would be fucking awesome. (laughs) 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 Number 30. You just fucking hear that music. Goddamn Goldberg. (laughs) Fucking, uh, you know, I, uh, listen, it's, it's the Rumble. It's one of my favorite events. It's not my favorite event. You know, it's uh, mm-hmm. the, the best part about the Rumble is it tends to be a little bit unpredictable. I'm hoping there's some stuff on DraftKings, uh, you know, besides just slapping oh, together yeah. ridiculous parlays for a dollar that have payouts <laughs> of like $8,000 and then never hitting, but just missing every time, just missing by a little fucking bit. So one of these days I'm going to hit on one of those and I'm probably going to fucking like, uh, I'm either going to come or drop dead. It's going to be one or the other. Um but, yeah, I'm definitely hoping that they have something on there for the Rumble being that, you know, the, the Rumble's somewhat random-ish. Uh, they have Oscar shit on there now. But, uh, you know, <laughs> you know storyline-wise, it, it, it makes the sense for it to be, you know, Cody Rhodes to, to get the win, um, you know, to get his chance again at, at, at Roman Reigns to, to try to finish the story that he couldn't finish the other time. Uh, you know, same could be said for Seth Rollins. You know, we, we talked about this in our little group thing. You know, either one of them mm-hmm. could win the Rumble with the other one winning Elimination Chamber, and therefore you have your two, your two matchups. Um, you know, I, what, what, I would love, what I would love is for, you know, in the middle of the Rumble, for the fucking lights to drop, the music to hit, and out comes the fucking Rock, and, you know, the Rock comes in, lays waste to everybody, wins the fucking Rumble, and is like, you know what, Roman, the fucking time is now. I'm taking over the fucking family. This nonsense has gone on long enough, and, you know, I, I, I can even mm-hmm. see it in my head how, like, the mania <laughs> event begins. You know, you have your, your, your typical Roman entrance, you know, with... with, with whatever Usos are with them this time and and all of that. And then you have The Rock, but it's not, you know, Hollywood-style rock rolling in. No, it's The Rock, you know, with an entire crew of fucking, you know, uh, 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 of people doing that fucking, that 
uka uka shit that they do before their soccer games yeah. and stuff like that, which is like they did mm-hmm. it in fucking uh, in, in Hobbs and Shaw, you know, with his kid and 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 the soccer team. But like doing that whole mm-hmm. get up, that whole Samoan mm-hmm. thing that they do, hyping that fucking shit up, man. Because you know what, The Rock is gonna walk down that fucking aisle and he's gonna get in that ring. Okay, and he is going to turn that shit sideways and stick it up Roman's candy ass, smack him fucking this way from Sunday, and walk the hell out with that title around his waist, you know, and do what The Rock does. And then he can give it up a fucking month later, and guess what? Everything goes into tournament mode, and you can have your finals in SummerSlam. And we have a new champion, nothing needs to be crazy, and a full storyline gets... Nice and neatly wrapped up in a bow with no complaints because nobody's going to bitch about that. You let The Rock win this fucking title, no complaints whatsoever. Nobody will give a fuck. You know, I mean, people will watch. You'll get people to... This will probably be the most watched fucking WrestleMania in fucking 10 years, easily, if you bring The Rock in. Um, But, you know, we will see what they do. If it's predictable, it'll yeah, end I mean, up being, like I said, Cody versus Roman, Seth versus fucking versus CM Punk. And uh, sorry, that's what I meant before when I said CM Punk, not Seth Rollins needing to win it. Uh, you know, CM Punk needing to win to fight against Rollins and everything else in between. Yeah, I mean, we'll see what happens. Um, it's going to be interesting. I know that Triple H in real life, uh, before we get into some real life uh, WWE news and Netflix, uh, apparently there's been a bunch of leaks about WrestleMania matches coming up this uh, April, and he is quite angry because uh, Sports Kita was reporting on it and about the plans for Cody Rhodes moving forward and the plans for Roman, and it was leaked, and he is not very happy. I don't want to bring it up because it's a spoiler. You know, they might not do it now because obviously it's been leaked, but. I just, I'm with you. I'd like The Rock to just fucking come out at WrestleMania and just take on Roman Reigns and just fucking drop him with a rock bottom. The fucking crowd, I think, would tear the fucking place apart if The Rock won and finally defeated uh, Roman Reigns. But he's also coming up on defeating Hill Mm -hmm. They can have a great match. They truly can. It's not like, you know, The Rock, you know, his, the great one, you know, and all. It wasn't about what his his in-ring prowess was. It was the style with Not which he did it. You know, it was about the movement. Think about it. We're talking about a guy here whose, you know, move was the people's elbow for, for mm-hmm. quite a while. You know, like, it was one thing when he would use it as a signature. It was another thing when I saw him win a match or two with it. And I was like, okay. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, the, the rock bottom, look. It's, it's it's a standard move. We've seen Canadians using that fucking move for years as just a, a regular oh, old move. But the mm-hmm. Rock turns it into his finisher, and it is what it is. There was, you know, the, the, the Rock takes a fucking fireman's carry and turns it into a slam, but he does it with a style. You know, so so being that mm-hmm. the Rock is the stylish stylish guy, Roman for the most part is going to do what Roman's been doing for pretty much the entire title run which, as much as I might not like Roman Reigns, he carries most of the matches. You know, he beats somebody up and he makes them look good because, you know, they'll fight back a little bit and then he'll win. Or he gets his ass kicked for however long, making the other person look good, but he still somehow pulls out the win. I might not like Roman Reigns. I might not think he's a very fun guy to watch in the ring. I might not like the fact that he's held the title as long as he has. But... I will at the very least now acquiesce this. 
I can give the guy some respect for what he's put in as far as overall work for the WWE. Okay. And th- that's mm-hmm. about as far as I'm going to go with it. Yeah, he could he have been more active in the ring? Yeah. Yeah, I think I, I would have preferred it maybe. Whatever. Mm-hmm. I think that, that speaks to a lot of things with the WWE and the status of it all together. But, I but let's get on to some real stuff. We spent a lot of yeah, time talking WWE last week. Let's not do that again. We're not a WWE podcast. I'm sure the people that are like, what the fuck is this horror shit talking about the wrestling guys all the time for? But say oh, they know we're cool girls. Like, shut the fuck up about it already. I don't oh, know. who cares? You know, we're alone. We don't it's have to be you. We're fucking. No, we're marks. We love wrestling. It's the fucking Royal Rumble weekend. It's important <laughs> to us. Um, you know, I just, I, I fucking wrong. can't wait. It's going to be exciting. But yeah, I mean, to. The other big news that came out for WWE is that Netflix purchased. Who do you think the winner's for... going to be? Oh yeah, sorry about that. Um, if I had to choose, I would say Bailey for the women's and Gunther for the men's, because they are starting to slowly build that storyline between him and Seth Rollins, where he plans on winning the Royal Rumble, going to WrestleMania, and just beating the shit out of him, which I would love to see because I just don't really like Seth Rollins that much. I just never cared for him. Because his matches are all the same. We've talked about it. Where it's just like, oh, my back hurt. So my opponent's going to kick me in the back a bunch of times. Or my opponent notices that I have a leg injury. So now he's going to expose that. So I would love it to see him drop the belt. Not the Gunther, but, you know, I'd love to see him drop the belt. You know, them doctors once again said, I mean, this might put him out of wrestling forever. <laughs> well, they always say that. They, they did the <laughs> same thing on Monday at Raw. Where he came out and he's like, oh, I tore my meniscus and I'm going to be out for like three to four months. It really sucks, guys. And I was like, what happened to that clause? That <laughs> what happened to that clause that used to be stripped of your title if you were absent from it for a certain amount of time? It used to be like two months, one month, and now all of a sudden it's like, nah, we're fuck that. You know, three, four months without a fucking champion. So Roman's gone, Seth Rollins is gone. You know, it's great. We we don't have champions. Yeah, well, again, we don't we don't need champs. Who, who needs champs? We just need guys that hold the belt. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, I, I really didn't even I really didn't think about the women's thing. You know, they uh, un- unfortunately, it feels like the surge that had occurred for the whole women's division like hit its its peak, and then like just just it crashed. And, like, it faded. Mm-hmm. And, like, it faded real quick, which sucks because, you know, they worked so hard to get to that point. So the fact that, mm-hmm. it, like, it feels like it, it hit there and it was popular and everybody loved it, and now, like, it feels like it's back to that, like, when the women's matches come on, the crowd seems quieter. They don't seem as engaged. They're like, you know, maybe if they're, they're happy when it's eye candy, but aside from that, they just want the match to be over so that they can get to the, the dicks and balls again. Mm-hmm, 100%. And the women have put on some of the best matches that I've seen in a lot of these pay-per-views. I mean, we've talked about <laughs> it in previous ones where it's like, yeah, I mean, fucking, I love Becky Lynch versus Trish Stratus in the Hell in a Cell. That was fucking amazing. And it should have been the number one match of the night, you know, but they had to overshadow it by other things and just – Ridiculous. When the women are putting on a fucking show, and then you get to the men's matches, and it's just very fucking milk toast, and just very just kind of like, all right, let's get it over with. Let's see who wins. We know it's going to be Roman Reigns, 
you know, you know, he's not losing. You know, he's not going to be pinned. So we can move on from that and just we'll go on to the next pay-per-view and where Roman Reigns is still champion. They're going to throw somebody at him, and he's going to just fucking beat him. I mean, it just becomes laughable after a while because he's just bulletproof. It's just like there's nobody that could take him on. Like CM Punk is a fucking joke as far as him taking down Roman Reigns. It's, it's not going to be that. I don't think, you know, I think some, somehow it's going to be Cody versus CM Punk at uh, but he's got the, Mania. But he's got the cult of personality. Mm-mm. Well, they they set up uh, the Cody CM Punk thing on Monday Night Raw, and it just was ridiculous. It just felt so fucking forced. Where he, he just well, that's, CM Punk that's, comes out that's really because they're taking that hard left. I really do think mm-hmm. that the initial setup was supposed to obviously be Cody Roman too, and yeah. you know they they really were not planning for Rock versus Roman at this Mania. I think what kind of sucks. I really do think that they wanted Roman to hold the belt for longer than Hogan. I think yeah. what they really wish was that this was next Mania. You know, like they they but the problem is this particular WrestleMania is also is mm-hmm. the fortieth anniversary as well yes. or some shit. So, yeah. you know, like you, you have that, which I don't, I don't get how it's the 40th anniversary when we're over. Is this, is, is this WrestleMania 40? No, right? No, it's 41, I think. So, yeah. Yeah, because okay. the first WrestleMania was the year before I was born, 83. So, yeah, it was yeah, 41. So, so, like, that, I don't understand, like, how they get some of the, these things coming up. But, like, yeah, they're, they're talking about it like it's the 40th anniversary or whatever it is. <laughs> and, like, I think they want to have mm-hmm. this giant milestone thing. But, like, you know what? Again, like, if you're going to do this story, let's do it, you know? And, like, that that's where I feel like it's kind of, like, on the, on the problematic end of things. You know, it's almost like when we got the, uh, you know, you remember when we got Rock versus Cena one at, mm-hmm. what, WrestleMania 38, right? Because we were at 39. Yep. Oh, no, 29. We were at 29. This was at yeah. WrestleMania 28. Mm-hmm. So, like, mm-hmm. Rock versus Cena one was, like, one of those surprise matches that was just fucking awesome. Like, and it shouldn't have been as awesome as it was, but it was awesome. But, you know... At the afterwards of the next night, you know, and, and, and you know, the Rocket won that match, and, and we were all like, yeah, you know, and, and we're watching the Raw, whatever it is. And I just remember during some kind of, like, interview or some discussion between the two of them, the one was like, yeah, well, if you have the belt, you know, next time, well, then that's what we'll be going for. And, you know, as soon as they said it and the crowd had the reaction, I think I remember you and me even talking about being like, you know, they're going to really make sure they fucking maneuver this so that, like, one or the other has the belt so that this way this could be a championship match. And sure enough, The Rock disappears for a number of months but shows up just in time at the Royal Rumble to, to not only show up at the Royal Rumble but to actually end up having the match at the Rumble to win the belt so that he can mm-hmm. go into WrestleMania versus John Cena and now it be for the title in Cena versus, you know, Cena versus, uh, versus Rock 2. Um, and it felt so, like, rushed and telegraphed the way they did it. And you know they were thinking oh, yeah. about it last year. But, like, the problem was is it really only would have worked that first time around. Like, that first time would have made that a phenomenal fucking moment. If that would have been a title event at that point, because it was just so, like, chaotic and just so, so amazing. Undertaker... Mm-hmm. Fucking Shawn Michaels won. You know, that fucking yeah. match was like, 
insane, you know? And it was like lightning striking twice when we got two of them, you know? But then they tried to do the same shit again with Triple H. And it was like, all right, the one was really good, but the other one, was, you were starting to feel the wear on it, you know, the rust was setting in. Um, I feel like here it's like, okay, they want this match. They know we want this match but they don't want to actually do what it takes to properly set it up, which would have been to, like, really work this up for a year or so. You know, now, like I said, but again, it's The Rock. So The Rock can show up whenever the fuck he wants. And he can show up the night before Mania and be like, hey, guess what? I want the main event of fighting the Roman Reigns. And everybody be like, yay, this is what we want. Um, like, I, I, I'm cheering for Goldberg. You know, somebody, somebody threw it out there. Somebody was like, yo, the music hits, the lights go out, and fucking Goldberg shows up. He spears and fucking, you know, jackhammers Roman Reigns a couple of times, wins the belt, fucking crowd goes wild. And, you know, there's a part of me that was like, you know, I don't think I fucking hate the fact that it's, I think he's, what, 58 now, 59? Like, if his old mm-hmm. ass came in and did that to Roman Reigns, I'd be like, you know what, that's fucking Bill Goldberg. That's the man that went 170, you know. Oh, that's what it is. They said he, Taser, that Scott Hall used on him and used that on Roman Reigns, too, to help take him down, you know, to really fucking, like, drive it home. Oh, man, that would fucking be epic. I mean, I, I was watching a clip last night of uh, Ultimate Warrior versus Hulk Hogan, and Hulk Hogan was in WCW as Hollywood Hulk Hogan. And I don't know if you've ever seen it, but they had a match on Nitro where Hulk tried to pull the fucking lighter and tried to light a fireball to shoot at Ultimate Warrior, but it didn't work. And it kind of sparked, and then he dropped it. And they're like, wow, some kind of fireball or something? (laughs) No, it wasn't. He fucked up. Was this the one that was the lead-up to the Halloween Havoc match? Mm-hmm. Or was yeah. this post Halloween Havoc? This was, after, no, this was, was before it, right? This, yeah. yeah. Which was a whole other fucking yeah. mess and then some. Like, hey, we're finally going to get Hogan versus Warrior 2. I remember being jazzed for that, bro. I was like, you know, mm-hmm. I really remember WrestleMania 6 being like one of those like pinnacle moments for me as like a child and, you know, a, te- a, a, young, a young preteen boy. I want to say I was in my tween years, you know? And, uh, yeah. I was, I, was, I was kind of excited, you know, like, shit, I, I won't lie, I was like, what, 20? You know, I just had a kid, and I'm like, fucking hey, man, Hulk Hogan's about to, you know, he's a bad guy now, but the Warriors going to come in and just smack him the fuck around. Man, I think, I think he got in the cage. Hogan, I think, did he lock himself in, or did he fucking lock himself out? And then the Warrior, like, had to kick his way out of the cage, and then he ran out of the arena. Like, there never, a match never yeah. occurred, if I remember correctly. No, you yeah, he got locked out from what I remember. Then they had to, they had to do a kind of a quick improv, and the match never happened. Um, and one of the other things that we have to, to not forget is that Damian Priest, which is a fucking waste, in my opinion, of having money in the bank briefcase, um, he still has it. He's still senior money in the bank. But I keep thinking about it, and I'm like, well, wait, okay, great. He has the money in the bank briefcase. He's got the judgment date. Why can't he just beat the fuck out of Seth Rollins or, or Roman Reigns and just take the title? He's got the judgment date. They could easily just fucking hold everybody down. And it's just, if you're not going to do that, it's a waste of time. They need to just take that briefcase away. I think they fucked up with Damian Priest. I mm-hmm. think they had plans to try to make, because I remember when he first won the money in the bank. And I remember them mm-hmm. talking about, like, other belts. 
You know, they were like, oh, well, he could cash that in for any belt. He wants an intercontinental match. He can go in and go on that. So it was the idea that that, that case just means you can challenge for any title whenever you want it. And I think somebody yeah. with a little bit of a better head on his shoulder was like, listen, if you use the money in the bank, cash in for one of those lesser belts, it seriously negates the validity of that fucking thing. Now, look, I get it. I'm talking validity with the fucking WWE. I know, it's fake. Okay, <laughs> Don't get me wrong. I fucking understand that. It's, it's yes, it. it's fake. Um, <laughs> you know, but, uh, but yeah, the idea is that that money in the bank gets used to fucking get, again, somebody gets their ass fucking beat, and you're like, yo, you know what? I'm going to take this fucking shot, and I'm, I'm going to lay on this motherfucker, and I'm, I'm going to win a belt, and I'm going to hope that I can defend it afterwards. You know, I think what? We've seen mm-hmm. two people try to cash in legitimately yeah. and set up a match, mm-hmm. and I think both of them lost, if I remember right. I think one was Cena, and then uh, I who the other one was. But I don't think it worked out well for either one. The other one might have been... Nah, Rollins always cashed in well. He always fucking, he snuck his he fucking ass out every time. He'd wait till your ass was like dying in the ring. And he'd be like, Diggler <laughs> yeah. had the best one, bro. Nothing will ever beat fucking Diggler's cash in. That shit was fucking, that's money. That's how money in the bank gets done. You know, but, but again, it is what it is. I think they just feel like, great, you know, here we have this guy. He's not. He's not that level. He's just not. Even with Judgment Day, he's not. He's not championship level. Finn fucking Balor is half the guy's size, but has more talent in his little fucking pinky nail. You know, he's just Damian Priest just does not have it. He looks awkward. He seems awkward. None of it works, you know. So like the only way I see them doing that is to do an evolution thing, and like literally have him win the belt. And then the whole of Judgment Day be like, well, you're supposed to give that to Finn or or you know, whoever, I guess, is the fucking leader of Judgment Day now. Um, well, you know, that's it. We're all turning against you. You know, like when fucking, <laughs> uh, what was it? When, was, did they, yeah, they turned on Randy Orton when Randy Orton won. Yes, they did. Mm-hmm. Immediately. And, yeah, the, the whole fucking Judgment Day thing is just getting kind of boring. And it seems like they're setting up for them to break up at some point. The fact of the matter is, is that R-Truth has fucking saved that fucking stable. His fucking hilarious fucking nonsense of fucking selling uh, Judgment Day merch and then giving all the members big fucking stacks of cash. Here's your cut, you know, Damien, here's your cut, Finn. And they're like shooing him away, but he's got these huge stacks of cash. And they oh. even put him on the fucking Titantron video at the beginning of the movie. <laughs> we just see him in the background. I was like, that's fucking great. This, I love it, but... Yeah, well, who knows how I mean, long listen, that's going to last. Listen, mm-hmm. I'd shoot the shot, okay? Our yeah. truth. He he talks he talks Damian Priest into giving him that fucking briefcase. Our oh, truth. <laughs> okay? Goofy ass our truth cashes that shit in, wins that title, and suddenly is now Ron the Truth Killings again and is an actual legitimate badass. Because that man's got a lot of fucking talent that they use in a very comical way. And he has had that talent. <clears throat> that man was what? The inaugural yep. fucking Impact Champion? He was one of the yep. best fucking performers in the ring that got turned into comic relief in the WWE. I would love to see them go, you know, 
turn that around, turn him into a legitimate fucking contender again and be like, yeah, and just have him play the fucking character. Be like, listen, you thought I was a fucking joke. Who the fuck you think I am? I'm Ron the fucking Truth Killings. I'm not fucking R-Truth. I'm not this comical fucking, <laughs> oh, I'm here. Fucking bullshit fucking giving me the 24-7 title again and again and again and again. Like, it's like fucking real. And it was like when they gave fucking Cactus Jack the fucking, you know, the hardcore belt, and it was just a broken fucking belt, you know? Yeah, that was, they gave, uh, Vince McMahon gave it to Mankind, <clears throat> and it was uh, mm-hmm. yeah, one of the broken belts that they just had. So, But at least, like, the hardcore belt, I felt like, had a much better run than the 24-7 belt. First it of all, you can't make it perfect. Yeah. No, and it mm-hmm. earned itself respect over time by hardcore matches. You had a hardcore match to win the hardcore belt. Yeah, and I get mm-hmm. it. It started as a gimmick and got better. The 24-7 belt has just always been a gimmick, and there's no way you can turn it into anything other than a gimmick. It, it just remained that way, and I was so glad when they decided to retire it because it was just it was a terrible fucking idea. Just bring the hardcore title belt back. I mean, just do that instead of the 24-7 champion because it was just stupid. Um, but, yeah, so also uh, WWE – uh, just has a deal with Netflix. Uh, for the next, I think, five years, Netflix can opt out of it. But $5 billion uh, to air Monday Night Raw, <laughs> SmackDown, NXT, and all the PLEs in 2025, uh, with The Rock being announced as one of the board members uh, for TKO Sports, you know, that, that acquired WWE. I mean, I, I wonder if that's going to bring in a bigger audience because they got, what, 77 million some odd subscribers on Netflix? So you got to think that somebody's going to end up checking out wrestling. Oh, uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, listen, it's not like the WWE is an unknown entity. It's it's a major company. It's it's watched by a lot of people. I don't, I don't think them going to Netflix is going to – I just don't see how many people are now, – now, while they're doing this, does this mean they're going to end their Peacock run? Yes. Okay. So, like, I don't see, like, I just don't see how all these people that are currently, like, subscribed to Peacock, how the majority of them don't already have Netflix. So, like, I can only see the Netflix subscriber base being bumped up by, like, a slight amount. Now, that being said, like, the Netflix subscriber base that you would say probably doesn't have Peacock, because maybe not everybody has Peacock, but I feel like everybody's got Netflix, um... I mean, sure, you might get people watching a little bit more than than than, than the norm, at least at first. But I don't, I don't see them suddenly like getting a whole fucking slew of like <clears throat> rabid WWE fans again. You know, I, I I think we are once again at one of those like low points. You know, and it's been just a, yeah. a slow decline as it's just been making its way down, making its way down, and. You know, I think that started all the way back during the Ruthless Aggression era, you know. I think we started seeing that as as the rise of Cena became more of a realistic thing and then as it's just transitioned on from there. Like we've had we've had some high moments, but we never mm-hmm. had that same level of height. And we've spoken about it where we were at that like late nineties, early two thousands period. In 96, 97, when they had the Monday Night Wars, Monday Night Raw versus Monday Nitro. Um, you just had to fucking be there. And I, I, I agree with you. I feel like it's not really there anymore. Um, they're just kind of bland and not as engaging in the stories and the characters. And some of it's good. Like you said, some of it's not bad. And some of the matches are pretty good. But 
we're never going to reach that level that we had back in the 90s. Um, but, the, but the storyline with the athletes. No, mm-hmm. it'll happen okay. again. It's just a matter of a talent coming out and doing that. You know what I mean? Like, that's really what it comes down to. Just like, you know, wrestling was huge in the 60s with, you know, Bruno Sammartino and everything. And then it kind of, you know, you have your territories throughout the 70s, but, like, it, it ebbed and flowed. You know, it took Hogan coming out in the 80s to now make it this huge fucking thing again. And then we hit 1990, and that, like, wave kind of crashes, and things settle down for a number of years. And then you hit, like, 97, 98. And, yes, the Monday Night Wars kick in. You got Goldberg on the W. CW side, you got Stone Cold Steve Austin on the WWE side, and then you got guys like The Rock and, you know, the NWO. You got all these, like, these things that started real small, but, like, when they finally blew, they blew into, like, mainstream everything, you know? Like, it went from, like, NWO and WCW to being, like, a niche audience thing to suddenly everybody wearing an nwo shirt you know everybody knowing who stone cold steve austin was everybody knowing who the rock was you know and 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 that you know built its way and like i said that that went on and and that kept its momentum up until the the obviously the buyout but i feel like it kept its momentum and similar to a lot of contact sports we started seeing things again like you know like benoit dying you know and fucking you know, Eddie Guerrero, like all these tragedies occur. That doesn't help matters. Starts getting, you know, people looking into shit. And guess what you have? You have to kind of dilute your talent at that point. Then you have to stop, like like we see. No more blood on matches. You know, we're not cutting anymore. We're not, like, letting those head strikes. And don't get me wrong. I don't want to see people getting seriously injured. But mm-hmm. at the same time, like, part of that thrill was involved with that. That's like going to the circus, you know? Like, part of it is the thrill that, you know what? Something could actually go wrong. And sometimes it does. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> Owen Hart. All you got to say to people. <laughs> well, I'm talking about one of the biggest tragedies. You know, one of the biggest tragedies peace, in the history. Yep. And, and, you know, the show went on, you know, but uh, it's, a, it's a tragedy. Um, but, you know, speaking of other things that, uh, well, Okay, so, yeah, what I wanted to talk about, uh, going into horror stuff, because we are a horror podcast, and I don't want to spend 45 minutes talking about wrestling again, because people are going to tune out. I don't want that. Um, speaking about passings, uh, David Enge, who played Stephen Flyboy Andrews, uh, passed away on January 20th at the age of 77. Uh, he played that character in George A. Romero's Dawn of the Dead. Um, and while the character was flawed and interesting in ways that Romero could always bring out in his characters, uh, it's the fact that when he became a zombie at the end, his just dedication to this weird fucking walk where he could turn his heel in and kind of walk on it, it looked incredibly painful. Uh, George Romero, when they cut, said, all right, king of the zombies, because that, that, you can't get any better than that. Plus, having the knowledge of where they were hiding and bringing all the zombies to break down the barrier so they could go after uh, Peter and Fran. Um, I just, I, you know I love Dawn of the Dead, but I think it's it's one of those iconic movies that if you're a wrestling fan, you have to see it. Yeah. No, listen, it's a, it's, it's up there with the classics, you know? So, so it goes in there with 
you know, Night of the Living Dead. It goes in there with Psycho. It goes in there with, with all of those films that if you're just a, even if you're just a movie fan in general, it's one mm-hmm. of the films that I believe kind of, it, it, it fits into like probably the, like, you know, if there's a, a list of a hundred movies that you should see, that's one of them. You know, it just yeah. kind of, it, it, just for the special effects alone of it, you know, just just for the the boundaries that got pushed and what it shows you how a how you can grow a continuous world without using a direct sequel as your means of doing it. You know, we know that Night of the Living Dead and Dawn of the Dead exist in the same exact universe. We don't ever have to they didn't need the same characters. We just needed to know that it's the same world. And and it flows. You don't always see that in that kind of uh, in that shit. Sometimes you don't even see that in fucking direct sequels that have the same fucking actors involved. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so, so yeah, I, I definitely agree that it's a, uh, it's a classic and his performance was great. And, yeah, definitely. Rest in peace. I, I never met the guy. You know, I know you have a picture with, with you and him, man. Yeah. Yeah, I met him uh, back in 2007. I went to meet George Romero, uh, and that's where I met the entire cast of Dawn of the Dead. You know, David Emge, um, as well as Scott Reiniger and Ken Faree and Galen Ross. I also got to meet Joe Pilato from the Dean's favorite uh, Day of the Dead. It was a lot of fun. He was just a, a very nice guy. This was back in the day when you didn't have to buy an autograph. You just wanted a picture with somebody. But, ah, fuck it, sure. You know, nowadays it's, it's, it's changed, but this was back in the early 2000s. Um, but it is an important movie, and it kind of makes you wonder what you would do if you kind of had access to a shopping mall that also has a, a grocery store and a gun shop. And, you know, would you just kind of put up shop and stay like the, the boys want to do, where you'd be like Fran and just got to keep moving. You know, you don't want to be too complacent. And I think uh, George kind of handled that really well, talking about consumerism uh, back in the 70s. And, and if you want an action movie, watch the 2004 Dawn of the Dead. I personally don't like it, but I could see what people do because it's just kind of action scene after action scene. And that could be fun. Um, but I felt like a little bit was lost when it came to the characters. So, so for me, okay, we, we know for, for however long I busted your balls on the fact that, you know, Dawn mm-hmm. of the Dead 2004 is, is your favorite movie. You love Zack Snyder and that it's by far mm-hmm. the superior product uh, between the two, the two movies. Um, I'm not going to say that you're – okay, so, so I guess it would be wrong for me to say it that way, right? Okay, so is the original Dawn of the Dead a more important film than the 2004 movie? 100%, absolutely. Broke, mm-hmm. broke boundaries as far as what you could do in a film and how you did it. And, you know, that's just, just, just what Romero did at the time. It's what Savini did. You know, it, that, there's no that away from it. There's just no way around that. I know you say you preferred the characters in the original film. See, I don't think the action was what made the remake better. I thought the characters were what made the remake better. I thought the 2004 okay. movie had characters that were were more familiar. They felt more alive and real than the character types that you get in the original Dawn movie. You know, like when you look at the original Dawn movie, it's almost like when you play a video game, you know, and you got guy 
strong guy, and girl. Like, those are your three options of players, you know, and it's like, oh, okay, well, which one do I want? Oh, perfect example, the 19, you know, the 1980s NES Friday the 13th video game. You know, you had three male characters, you had three female characters, and they literally were just three archetypes, you know, two girls, uh, one girl, one guy that both, they all jumped very high, but they were very weak, you know, two, Mm -hmm. which were like even basic neutral characters, you know, they, they didn't jump all that high but they jumped higher than the third one, which was like the strong guy option, you know, or the strong girl option. They did a lot of damage, but like they were slow as shit. And, you know, you basically have like little to no jumping ability with them to, to try to avoid shit. And, and that's kind of how I feel with the original cast of Dawn. And then you have all the random stuff, you know, I know the Dean likes to bust your balls about the pie sequence and all that. Like realistically, <laughs> look, it is what it is. Random shit got introduced in it. We're talking about a fucking world in which the undead have risen from the fucking ground. We're not even sure fucking why and, you know, what what the fuck. We're in a mall because that might be a safe place to stay. I'm all for staying in the mall. I'm for something like that completely. If you can barricade me in there, I know that I have every single type of fucking thing that I could ever need. Entertainment. I have food. I have heat. You know, from multiple sources, I have some weaponry, especially back in the 70s. Um... You know, like, like, I'm good to go. You know, it's just a matter of keeping other fuckers out. You got to barricade everything. Yeah, and they, they were pretty smart, you know, with moving the trucks, you know, in front of all the entrances to kind of get in um, and block the zombies from getting out. But, of course, as we see, uh, you know, Blade, played by Thomas Savini at the end, of his biker gang get in, uh, and they get their comeuppance, which I do love. Oh, not that Blade, my bad. <laughs> No, no, not the vampire hunting blade. Uh, blade the, no, the white shit. biker played by Brown uh, Swing. That would have been great if Blade fucking was a type showed up. Get these vampire motherfuckers. Oh, they're zombie me, motherfuckers. Me and Whistler. <laughs> these <laughs> motherfucking vampires everywhere. It's Chris Christopherson. Wow. <laughs> just, you know, no, it, Blade, it's just, I just it's want a, you to have a family and be good with things, you know? Like, I really care about you, son. Um, but yeah no I I definitely would stay in the mall as well Um, Romero tried to say that domesticity isn't always what it's cracked up to be and if you get too comfortable you kind of succumb to to things but I would not fucking care if I have safety if I have weaponry if I have food uh, and a roof over my head and I don't have to worry about the ghouls outside not you but the the actual zombies uh, Mm. I'd be happy I'd be like let's fucking stay here man like why the fuck are we going to go like where is there else to go you know, and, and unfortunately, that Peter and friends didn't have a choice at the end of Dawn of the Dead. They had to leave because uh, everything just fucked up. But, um, you know, just it's a great just concept, um, you know, what you would do in a fucking mall. And we have George thank for that. Um, but moving on from David Endgame and Dawn of the Dead, this one I found earlier today, and I wanted to tell you, Ghoul, that Godzilla Minus One has picked up 12 nominations at the Japanese Academy Awards, which include Best Film, Best Director, Best Screenplay, Best Actor, Best Actress, Best Supporting Actress, Best Music, Best Cinematography, Best Lighting, Best Art Direction, Best Sound, Best Editing. I feel like, is that the only movie that came out in Japan last year? Because it seems like that's every fucking award. <laughs> like, that's just everything. Well, I mean, look, we've seen this. We've seen this here in the States. You know, a film comes out. It's a huge box office success. It gets all kinds of critical acclaim. Titanic, Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring, which doesn't end up getting all the wins, but Return of the King, a couple years later, 
gets all the wins. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so so it doesn't surprise me. I mean, it's it's the Japanese, you know, and it's it's seventy years of a character in which you know everybody knows, and suddenly you know, again, like I said, they made a good movie. Not just a, a movie. It's not a good Godzilla movie. It's a good movie. So it's it's deserved. You ask me. Like I, I don't think it's uh, I don't think it's outlandish. I, you know, it, it is what it is. I think uh, I think they did good, and I'm happy with that. Hundred and ten percent. I mean, I'm not going to take that away from you. I mean, I know how much you loved it, and I'm still looking forward to checking it out. I'll probably wait until it comes on uh, home release and watch it there. Hopefully, they have the black and white cut you know, on the physical release, because I'll, I'll pick it up and watch it. Um, maybe I'll rent it. I don't know. I haven't decided yet. But um, either way, it's so cool that it won all those awards. I think so, you know. Um, just seems like it just got nominated for every single thing. And that's fun. Um, but moving on to Halle Berry, uh, she was working on a movie that the dean actually brought up in 2021. Uh, it was called The Mothership. Uh, and it was a science fiction adventure movie. Uh, written and directed by Matthew Chapman. Um, and it got completed in 2021, and they had some delays and shit like that. But then they decided uh, to release an article today on Variety that the mothership will not be coming out. Uh, they have officially shelved it, uh, despite it being finished in 2021. Um, if we're ever going to see it, who knows, but more than likely not. Um, Netflix has made the decision to scrap the mothership completely. In other words, they have no plans on releasing it but it wouldn't be the first time that we've seen this happen. Uh, it happened with the Batgirl movie uh, where they filmed it, completed it, put it in the can, and then they decided to use it as a tax write-off, which is a shame because I was really looking forward to seeing the Batgirl movie. But, you know, they use it just for a write-off, which it seems like that's what's happening again you know, with Mothership. Not that I would be excited for Mothership, but still, kind of sucks. <laughs> You're not excited for Mothership? No, um, you know me and my love of fucking uh, you know sci-fi movies. So I think, you know, I think the problem with 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 I think really there's just a big issue with a lot of sci-fi stuff lately, man. I think everybody wants to get like the next big concept thing out. Everybody wants the next fucking you know the next Hunger Games, the next Matrix, the next you know the the, the next big franchise that's gonna going to make a kill and make a lot of money or at the very least get all kinds of crazy critical acclaim, you know? Um, mm-hmm. I think a lot of people felt that that, that was going to be the creator. Uh, a lot of people had high hopes for that. I know I know the monkey recently saw it and he really he really did enjoy it. I uh, I went in, saw that in the theater, and my again, my hopes were like you know, from, from the trailer and the look of the, the, the movie and the world, I really was just hoping for one of those like deep dive, high concept uh, experiences, and unfortunately, mm-hmm. I feel like it was just a very pretty film. Like it was window dressing, is what it is. It was like it mm. looked great, but ultimately, it was just very hollow inside, you know. And some of the performances just just reflected that, you know, and like, it's, it's one of those where I want to feel it, you know, like, look, I, I'm no, no big fan of, of Haley Joel Osment and fucking Jude Law, but when you watch AI, you fucking start to feel bad for the little robot, you know, you feel bad for the fucking sex bot that is just trying to get this kid to his mother and he doesn't even understand why, um, <laughs> you know, it's, uh, 
it, it, it's a weird thing, you know. And again, like I said, though, that that's the kind of shit that they're trying to hit. So we're kind of like at that weird low with sci-fi stuff, but it'll come back. Thing does just cyclical, man. Plus, we have so much shit. We have so many channels, so many streaming services, so many things right now creating so much. So, like, even, like, Zack Snyder's Rebel Moon, you know, that whole thing came out. They announced that they're dropping, you know, part two in a couple of months. I haven't even made it through part one yet. I fucking started the movie, and, I mean, (laughs) fucking bad. It's bad. It looks bad. (laughs) The fucking performances have been terrible, and I'm like, I don't know, 30 minutes in, and I'm like... I honestly thought I was already like an hour of the way in, and it was only fucking like 29 minutes, and I'm like, oh, my fucking God. I don't even know what the fuck it's about yet. Um, You know, and and it's just I have not gone back. Since then, you know, I've watched Killers of the Flower Moon, you know, which is a a three-and-a-half-hour Scorsese epic. We took a couple days to – it was uh, it's look, it's a long movie. We took it we watched it yeah. over the course of a couple of days. Um yeah, we found it very yeah, enjoyable. The perform the performances were great. It's all based on a true story, you know what I mean? So I, I can't knock the content, you know, because it would be very unfair no. and real shitty to do so. Um and, and you know, Gladstone, Lily Gladstone's performance, fucking great. The things that you see, like, occur on that woman's face, like, everything about her character, you know from the looks that she's giving and the, the, the sound and tones of her voice with the very few words of dialogue that she's using, you know? And that's, that's mm-hmm. fucking acting, you know? Like, that's when you, you say acting, that's acting, you know? I'll even give fucking De Niro a little bit of credit for, you know, his performance oh. in it. But he's, all, he's, oh. he's always great in Scorsese shit, you know? It's the Nero. His fucking accent Niro. going in and out. He didn't know what the yeah. fuck to do with his voice. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're not entirely wrong, you know, but that's because I, I think like at the times they didn't know. I don't know if they wanted him playing a Jew or if they wanted him playing whatever fucking other, other type of ethnicity that he was. Uh, I'll give DiCaprio credit for putting on the weight and making himself a little bit ugly with his teeth. Um, a little bit. You know what? Uh, you know, I, I, I know a lot of people are up in arms right now about the whole Barbie movie and, you know, Greta Gerwig oh, no, not getting an <laughs> Yeah, well, they're upset that Greta Gerwig's not getting the Oscar nomination for Best Director. They feel like it's a snub. I don't disagree with that, you know? I mean, no. I, often fe- I often feel that way, though, when a movie makes a billion fucking dollars and yet like, almost no recognition goes to the cast or crew for making that film. Like, it's almost – I know people look at it and they go, you know, that's a snub towards the people that made the movie. You know, I actually feel like it's more of a snub towards the fucking people that went and watched the film. Because, you know what, we're mm-hmm. the ones that helped them generate that money. So all of us, what they're basically saying is, ah, you guys all like the piece of shit. You guys are all fucking morons. And that movie that you all spent so much money on and that you all love so much, that movie – movie sucks like that that's what it kind of feels like that they say when they do shit like that so you know being that like you know she's the first you know woman director she 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 accomplished a lot of things with that film um mm-hmm. so and she, and she broke ground in certain parts of it now i don't think it's the best film in the world i don't think like what she directed as, as a whole was anything groundbreaking it's barbie i've seen a thousand yeah. barbie cartoons she, what she fucking did is basically a cartoon in live action. 
you know, it's, it's an established character type. There really was only so much that you, you had to do other than just make sure those performances went right, and she did that at least. Margot Robbie that mm. everybody wants to complain about, like, listen, man, Margot Robbie did what she does in every movie in that film. She looks pretty. Yep, every single one. She smiles, yep. cautious. She's fun. She says a couple things serious every now and again. She gets a little bit dour. She gets a little bit sad, but everything ends up working out in the end. You might as well give her the fucking Oscar for Harley Quinn. You know, so I, I don't see Why the complaint of, uh, of not giving it to Margot Robbie. And, you know, the fact that everybody wants to complain about Ken getting it. Well, listen, Brian Gosling played against type, you know, and I know he's done humorous before. He's not, like, just mm -hmm. a serious actor. He's not just your heartthrob guy. He's done comedy, you know. But to play it the way that he did and to be able to play the toxic masculinity while doing so in a way that literally sat, satirized the entire idea of what toxic masculinity is and yet still mm -hmm. made it something that was fun to watch as a guy you know and i'm sure as, as women obviously enjoyed it as well like that's that like i said with lily gladstone that's acting that's you doing yeah. that you know i do feel like you know alan should have gotten a nod well would have loved it because that's me yeah michael Sarah was great as alan in, in barbie um and, and Margot Robbie was fine. I agree with you. She was fine, but it wasn't anything new. It was just Margot Robbie once again doing an American accent and acting like Margot Robbie. It's just, that's all it was. Just, she's just playing Barbie this time around. Um, but Ryan Gosling did a fucking fantastic job, and he had that whole uh, dialogue between Barbie when she comes back at the end where he's just like, well, how does it feel now? How does it feel now? You know, that I've turned everything around. You guys wanted to do Girls' Night every night. You know, everybody forgot about me, so how does it feel now? You know, everybody forgot about you. Like, it was just, it was a great uh, thing because you don't want to like Ken, but at the same time, you kind of feel bad for him, too, because he'd been put in a spot for so long. And then when he finds out that he could be a man and man kind of runs the world and all the patriarchy, he even says, oh, man, once I found out patriarchy wasn't about horses, I kind of gave up. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, <laughs> he's not completely evil. He does have a soul, but... Um, you know, so yeah, of course, Margot Robbie just getting, not a uh, dick. No, just not a dick. And you know, Killers of the Flower Moon again. Yes, the the subject material is is real. It happened. You know, but Scorsese just fucking makes these bloated movies now, where I just I I can't get into them. You know, like you said, De Niro is doing this weird kind of like I'm a southern man, and all of a sudden he would sound like he's Jewish in New York. And I was like, you gotta pick one. You gotta pick one, Bobby. You know, it's kind of like in uh, The Irishman. When he was supposed to be playing a 25-year-old, so they de-aged him a little bit, and he still looks like Ugh. Yeah, <laughs> listen, man. A, a three-plus-hour movie about Hoffa that we didn't need because we already had Hoffa. You know, so, so don't even get me started on The Irishman. Yeah, well, you know, the Hoffa with Jack Nicholson was a much better movie, and it's a lot shorter. So it's, it's worth watching from that standpoint. A lot more fun, a lot shorter. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I tried to get into Killers of the Flower Moon, found it was too fucking long. Again, DiCaprio kind of won me over with the past couple of movies that he's done, like Django Unchained um, and uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Um, he, he's kind of won me over a little bit. I, I appreciate him as an actor a little bit more, and that he wants to go in and, and do these roles. Um, even Wolf of Wall Street, I thought, fucking great movie. I mean, it's just a fun movie. It's comedy, but, you know, his other Dude, roles... I 
Many mercy. I got to give the cool girl so much credit on that one, man, because I seriously, like, when Wolf of Wall Street came out, I had no idea what it was about, like, at all. Oh, I okay. assumed... I assumed that the movie was like, you know, like basically like Boiler Room and Wall Street and like all that serious <laughs> shit that has to do with like, you know, fucking people on like Wall Street making money and shit. I knew DiCaprio was involved in it, but again, like, you know, I didn't see any of the trailers. So and I had no idea about the actual, you know, the actual guy. So I, I really didn't find like, you know, I didn't delve into it in any way. So mm-hmm. when, when, she was like, really? She's like, you haven't seen that movie? And I'm like, nah. She goes, oh, it's great. It's hysterical. And I remember being like, no, that ain't fucking funny. What are you talking about? So, like, she ends up putting it on. And, man, like, from the very fucking start with the midget getting tossed at the fucking dartboard, I'm like, holy fucking yep. shit. How in God's name did I not know that this is what this movie is like? So, yeah, absolutely. 100%. She totally turned me on to that one. So that, that's now one of my favorites. Yeah, it, it's it it wasn't really quite marketed as well as it could have been, where it kind of showed you that it's a fucking comedy, you know, and it's based on real events. But at the same time, you're gonna laugh, you know, especially in that scene with Margot Robbie. We're talking about her again when she's getting, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio's character to eat her pussy. She's like, mm, "You hungry for mommy?" He's like, "Yeah, fuck yeah." I'm like, <laughs> we're, so, "We're not gonna know. be friends." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know. And fucking Henry uh, Zabrowski from uh, Last Behind the Left is in that movie. Uh huh. Uh huh. Well, fucking, what's his name, yeah. too, man? Jonah Hill is fucking great. Yeah. You know, like, and John Bernthal. That's absurd shit. <laughs> He's like, so wait a minute. You're married to your cousin. <laughs> And he's like, well, yeah, 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 you know, well, like, uh, so, like, you know, my mother's brother's daughter is my wife. <laughs> it's like, what? <laughs> and he's got those big fucking, those big fake fucking teeth. Shit. Mm-hmm. And the fucking Steve Madden teeth. scene, bro, where they're all on the fucking quaaludes. I now know what I'm going to bed to tonight. Oh, fuck yeah, dude. Wall Street's classic to go to sleep to. Um, so a couple more things before we get into the movie here tonight. Uh, one of them being Ghostbusters Frozen Empire, which releases on March 22nd. Speaking with Empire Magazine, director Gil Keenan revealed that the 80s cartoon, The Real Ghostbusters, was used as inspiration for the movie. He said, we wanted to bring that show's looseness and fearlessness into this movie. I think it's going to surprise people just how big this film is. Keenan also noted that the real Ghostbusters featured wild, original, and weird as fucked up villains. And stay tuned for that with Ghostbusters Frozen Empire. Um, as a fucking kid who grew up on that goddamn cartoon, I was excited when I read that. I just, I've been trying to avoid fucking so many behind-the-scenes pictures because Empire released this whole fucking thing where they're like, oh, look at, look at Janine and look at Egan, like, all these characters. I don't want to see it. I just, no. I saw the trailer. I'm going to wait until March 22nd. But, of course, they have to mm-hmm. promote the movie, and it gives too much away, and I hate when they do that. Like, I don't want to know about, like, these characters or a new Ghostbusters fucking department to show you that. No, wait, wait until the movie comes out. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, me and my feelings on that, dude, and it's, uh, it's sad because I do. I feel like a lot of the trailers that I've seen, especially going to the theater as much as, as I do, um, you know, and I'm the kind of person where it's like, you know, like, 
like the cool girl tells me all the time. She'll be like, oh, don't worry. You're not going to be late. You know, they're going to have like 20 or 30 minutes worth of trailers. And yet I'm still always mm-hmm. there, like five minutes before like actual start time. Because always. in my mind, yep. I'm like, you know what? The one time I'm not there at that time, shit, bro. That's when the movie's going to start right on time. And then I sit there for 30 fucking minutes. I'm done with my pretzels before the second trailer was started. And now all I have is a bottle of water and a bladder full of fucking piss. I'm going to have to wait for two hours. Um, That's the you know, fucking I, worst. I have yeah. no idea what yeah. you said. Sorry, uh, some something movie that happened. Uh, no, sure. You know, I, I, I yeah, exactly. I wish, I wish, and I, I know that they want you to watch the trailers. They need you to watch mm-hmm. the trailers. They want to generate excitement for other movies. But I really do wish that the movie theater gave you multiple times, as far as like you know, like hey, listen. This is when, you know, the movies, whatever, whatever the actual trailers and shit are going to start. This is the actual time that the movie is going to start. And and I know, mm-hmm. look, you know most people are probably not going to show up at those earlier times. They're not going to want to sit there through the fucking trailers. But it sucks having to sit there through the trailers, not because I got to sit through trailers, but because I don't want to see fucking spoilers. Like, at all. Oh, 100%. 100%. Um, I kind of actually envy those people when I go to the theater because I'm like you. I show up early. Like, I don't give a shit because I'm always afraid I'm going to miss the fucking movie because this will be the one time it says it starts at 1 o'clock and it's going to start at 1 o'clock. I'm going to fucking miss five minutes and just not know what's happening. So I'll go in and I'll watch 25 minutes of trailers even if I don't want to watch them. But then I'll see people coming in just as the movie's starting. I'm like, that's I don't know how you do it, but I envy you. Like, how do you just know the fucking movie's going to start? It's amazing. You know, know, the funny thing, too, is, is, like, there's all that anxiety, right? Like you just said, oh, I'm going to miss the first five minutes and not know what's going to happen in the movie. You know, when you really think about it, how often has it been that, like, if you do miss, like, the first two or three minutes of the film, that you actually don't know what's going on? Like, no movie really Mm -hmm. has its its initial plot set up in the first, like, minute or two. You're typically missing, like, basic introductory characters or scenery, and that's about it, you know? But, like, for me, that's a very real struggle. I get mad if I'm not there at the start of the movie. Like, I do not Mm -hmm. like getting into a film and it already being engaged. You know, for me, the experience is entering that world and leaving that world when the movie is over. But I need to be there the entire time. Yeah, I'm, I'm the exact same way. Uh, you know that. Um, the only time I ever broke that tradition of being there before the movie starts, watching the trailers and watching the movie all the way through, was when I went to go see the Batman. Because that fucking movie was three hours. And at one point, I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to get up and I'm really going to fucking take a piss because I always get the large fucking Coke Zero. Um, <laughs> I'm not going to miss anything. I'm just going to go. And I left and I came back and I didn't fucking miss anything. It was still fucking Robert Pattinson. Said he's eating himself. Like he still was just fucking talking. Alfred, I'm so depressed. My parents are dead. My mom is dead. The dad is dead. Everybody's dead except for my enemies. <laughs> cue, I just want to the Nirvana Alfred. Music. Oh God. Oh, and the fucking trailers. Oh. Something away. Stop it. I'm so tired of fucking watching fucking goth Batman. Like, you know, I, and you know, fucking Andy Serkis playing fucking Alfred, I wanted him to just punch fucking Bruce in the face and be like, can you stop being a dick, Master Bruce? Like, all you do is complain. All you do is sit around and you fucking wipe the fucking hair away from your eyes and you're like, huh, oh, 
I don't want to go out and do Bruce Wayne stuff. I just want to sit here. But you can't fucking do that. You got to go out. <sighs> All right. I guess I'll get in my car and <sighs> drive. It's just so fucking boring whenever he was on screen as fucking Bruce Wayne. <laughs> I was like, I just bring back the Riddler. The Riddler, Paul Dano, is the best part of this fucking movie. Just make a fucking movie just hit. He fucking uh-huh. shoot up the fucking scenery and had a great time. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah, listen, guys, you know, I liked the Batman, so I'm, I'm all for it. I know we got the uh, the Penguin, I guess, uh, series coming out soon, and, and we, we, got, we got some good things coming that way, but... Uh, yeah, you know, like, for me, it's even bathroom. Like, I, I, I have learned... My body is trained. Like, I'll drink an entire large bottle of fucking water, but, like, you know, like, I nurse it throughout the course of the movie. Um, mm-hmm. But, like, I have trained my, my bladder to be able to sit there. Like, again, you know, saw Endgame six times. That's three hours yeah. every time, man. And, you know, I think there was only mm-hmm. the, the one time while I was there that I actually, like, got up and left the movie for a few minutes and that was to like to, to talk to the to the ghoul girl on the phone and then went back in and then finished watching the movie you know but like at, at no point do i get up and go to the bathroom it's just not not me like i said I, i'm there i'm entranced i'm in that world that's where i want to stay my bladder can deal with it and yeah as soon as i get to the bathroom it's like Fucking the floodgates are, are unleashed, and I'm fucking pissing everywhere, oh, you know. God. But but I've, I've even learned how to oh. work with that, dude. Like I, I don't bother going to the urinal at that point. Like I gotta go to. The I just go to the stall. That's not what diapers are for. <laughs> you guys in your periods, remember? Um, <laughs> yeah, there you go. That that that, that got you out. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, no, you know what, my guy? Like, listen, I. When my bladder's built up that bad, like, and I know, guess what, everybody, you want to hear about this? No, not really. Who the fuck wants to hear about us taking a piss? But, you know, like, as a guy, you know, like, it sucks when, A, your stream is pretty fucking strong, and, B, you kind of got a fucking, you know, you got a bit of a hang-low. And sometimes when that stream is too mm-hmm. fucking strong and your hang-low is fucking going, you know, you end up fucking getting sit. splashback, bro. And that sucks because, you know, my, what's my option? My option is to, is to fucking stand back a foot. From the fucking urinals, so that what everybody can look at my piece of deal and be like, oh, look at that <laughs> shit. Like, why is this guy? Why is this guy pissing like a fucking you know, like a special needs person? No, because you know, then you got to start work, walking your way, shuffling towards the fucking thing, and all this and that. And they have a look at the floor under a urinal, bro. Like, how the fucking people miss those things? There's fucking piss yeah. everywhere, and you're standing in it, and then you're gonna go home, it's and you're gonna terrible. track that piss. Through your house, you know what I mean? Like, you're going to take that piss and put it in your car when you get in your car. So, like, fuck that. I go into the fucking, into the stall, and I piss in a toilet bowl, just like I do at fucking, at my house every day. I don't piss in a urinal every day at my house, and you know what I don't have on my hands? Piss. <laughs> yeah. That makes so much sense. I mean, the the only time that I freaking made it through a movie like that and had a piss like that was Avengers Endgame. Uh, I sat through the entire fucking movie until the very, very end, and then I fucking ran like my fucking life depended on it to the bathroom, <laughs> sat down in the stall, and I fucking, I pissed the piss of fucking kings. I was fucking groaning. I was moaning. I was like, oh, my fucking God, this feels good. I was like, I wonder how many people think I'm getting a fucking blowjob in the bathroom oh. because I'm just fucking screaming. Oh, I just fucking loved it. I was just, uh, I didn't want to get any of my pants. I didn't want, I just, no. And I was like, this is a sit down. <laughs> and I just, <laughs> I was like, I, I loved it. I enjoyed it. And then I got up and like my bladder felt so much better. But yeah, I, I've trained myself to not drink so much. I was so pissed, man. Fucking, 
this wasn't even that long ago. Like, here's a perfect example of why, like, urinals suck, but this is also a perfect example of why fucking khakis suck. You know, like, you, you ever wear those, like, light brown khakis? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, like, uh, I, I, I'm 46 now, you know what I mean? So, like, every now and again, you know, you'll take a week and, like, you'll finish, but then there might be just, like, a little bit left in the fucking chamber. And you just didn't, oh, like, yeah. you know, you didn't, you didn't, you didn't use that extra push. You know, you're supposed to always mm-hmm. use that extra little push. Sometimes you'll snap a fart out. You know, it, it can be a risky proposition if you ate something that might be a little unsettling. You might worry about pushing out oh, a yeah. fucking a, a, a little chocolate fucking fruit, um, mm-hmm. like a tiny berry. But like, you know, for the most part, you just give that extra little push and you're good. You know. And one fucking time, I don't bother doing it. What's that, what, what am I wearing? I'm wearing a pair of fucking khakis. And sure as shit, you know, just that little splash soaked, like, right into the fucking, my, into my boxer briefs <laughs> and right into the khakis. And there, you know, no. right down, like, you know, a little bit, like, halfway down my thigh is, like, this tiny little wet spot. And I'm like, you know, it's just out of, it, it, it's not under the shirt, so there's no way to fucking hide it. So of course, like the oh, only yeah. thing I can do at that point, you gotta fucking, you gotta go all out. You gotta be like, okay, you know what? I'm gonna get my pants completely wet as I fucking wash my hands. This way, I could just be like, oh, I got fucking water everywhere, you know? Then you gotta splash a little on your pants, a little on your shirt, just uh, to hide it. But man, I'll tell you, that fucking shit, that sucks. Yeah, the, I, I've had that fucking episode. And it's always the fucking same thing, dude. It's always the same thing. You know, you get a little bit of drip on your pants, and it's never to the point where you can cover it with a fucking shirt. Never. It's always right in that fucking point where everybody can see that you got a little bit of piss in the front of your pants. But that's why I just have to bring fucking hoodies with me everywhere I go. Because if I get on the front of my pants, I'll just put a fucking hoodie around my fucking waist. And I'll say, hey, guys, it's fucking 99 degrees outside, but I got a hoodie. <laughs> Definitely getting fucking pissed a little bit of myself. Well, speaking of, you know, bodily fluids and accidents and whatnot, you know, it's funny. I, brought, I mentioned to the cool girl the other day the uh, the dark place inside incident. <laughs> you know, oh, yeah. I was laughing about mm-hmm. it. And, you know, what was really funny is she she didn't realize that I never told uh, Michael Mahoney about what happened that night. Like, you know, mm-hmm. I, I never ended up bringing it up at any point during any of our hangouts or anything because, like, I don't know, like, we were just chilling. I remember the one, because remember, you know, this is, this is the same director that directed IBS, you know, and, mm-hmm. and I remember when we were hanging out after filming Rabbit Hole, we were chilling, and I'm thinking, I'm like, all right, you know, I'm, I'm probably going to tell him what happened. And at some point or another, he goes, he goes, man, he goes, let me tell you something, bro. He goes... Sometimes when you make a movie, shit gets real weird. He goes, you know, I made that fucking movie, IBS. You wouldn't believe how many people come up and tell me shit stories all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like, oh, you wouldn't say, huh? No shit. That yeah. fucking sucks, bro. The director <laughs> like, you know of IBS fucking... fucking shit questions. <laughs> I'm leaving it at that, bro. I got, I got nothing to say now. Uh, no story for you, Mike. <laughs> Oh, it's fucking awful. But uh, all right, so moving on, uh, we do have a movie to talk about tonight: The Pope's Exorcist. Uh, Ghoul, this is your pick, twenty twenty-three. Uh, yes, directed by Julius Avery. Cuckoo. So yeah, we're going to talk about fucking Fat Russell Crowe, mm-hmm. who I love, as I said at the start. Uh, but give us a thoughts and thoughts what you thought. Uh, the Pope's Exorcist is not what I fucking thought it was. Uh, Father 
Gabriele Amort, you know, is the chief exorcist for the Vatican, um, meaning he is the guy that is the head of all exorcists. He is the the ipso facto exorcisto. So when the Pope himself wants, you know, something to definitely be looked into and done, this is the guy he calls. He calls Fat Russell Crowe. And you know what? Who wouldn't call Fat Russell Crowe? I'd call Fat Russell Crowe. I fucking love Fat Russell Crowe. Uh, basically, you know, this guy gets called in. He goes, he's got to check some shit going out. This woman bought a house, you know, with her kids, and, and the one kid's fucking possessed. Uh, you know, in comes fucking Russell Crowe and Tugger fighting around the world. <laughs> They're good to go. Let's do this. And, uh, and, yeah, there you go. He fucking ends up winning a fight in the Roman uh, Coliseum, and everybody's happy. Maximus, Maximus. Are you not entertained? Are you not entertained? <laughs> Uh, again, I don't. I don't think we're going to see Fat Russell Crowe in the, the Gladiator sequel. Uh, I don't think so. Would be great. But God, would I love to watch him try to cram the fucking mat. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, no. This is, uh, you know, like I said, I, my, my thoughts of what this movie was going to be were entirely something else. Yeah, I don't know the true story behind. Father Gabriel, uh, or mm-hmm. Morth, or Morth. Uh, I don't know, you know, anything about that. You know, do I do I know that the Vatican and all that have, uh, you know, an exorcism team and all that stuff? Yeah, of course. Uh, I mean, I think, you know, we all kind of know that kind of stuff after, you know, watching The Exorcist and, and learning all the things that we learn. Um, but, you know, again, I, I know nothing of this guy, nothing of this story, and uh, I fucking enjoyed the shit out of this movie. I thought this was a fun ride, you know. It's a, a mm-hmm. it's a movie called The Pope's Exorcist. Ready for this shit? Get this. There's an actual fucking exorcist in the movie. Can you believe that? You fucking believe that? I yeah, fucking believer. I'm a, I'm a believer, bro. Straight, I'm a, mm-hmm. I'm a straight up exorcist believer now. Um, but you know that's uh, but again, you get it. You get Crow doing what Crow does at this point of his career. Uh, he's he's hamming it up. He's speaking other languages. He's he's being fat crow. Um, you know everybody else's performances are, are serviceable. Uh, the special effects are decent. The sound is good. Um, yeah, I, like I said, I, I had fun watching this. I enjoyed it. It moved along at a nice brisk pace. And uh, oh, yeah. and yeah, and, and that be that. Yeah, it, it's I I enjoyed it too. I put it on my top ten list of last year, uh, 2023 movies. Um, because I just I enjoy Russell Crowe in his fat era. Uh, I just think he puts on better performances. And you know Gabriele uh, Amort, uh, you know the actual exorcist that lived in the Vatican and was doing all these exorcisms. He was a huge fucking fan of The Exorcist when it came out, like so much so that he actually sought out William Friedkin at a certain point and told him about how much he loved that movie and about how kind of it was like accurate and it was really well done. Uh, so Lloyd Freakin ended up doing a documentary called The Devil and Father Amorph. Um, and it's a decent watch if you want to know about the actual uh, Father Amorthe uh, or Morth or whatever you want to pronounce it. But um, I thought Russell Crowe did great. I mean, yeah, the, there's a lot of CGI shit um, that you can tell. But otherwise, it's a fucking exorcist movie that features an exorcist that are flawed fucking people that cool, have cool. their fucking problems and their sins and cuckoo, you know, in their past. 
Um, and it does <laughs> fucking tell about the church, and it's like, hey, well, they, they cover up a lot of shit. <laughs> you know, where it's just, hey, they covered it up. You know, they don't want to talk about it. Um, but I, I just like the fact no. that... It, of course not. No, no, the, the Catholic Church doesn't cover up that. anything. No, no, not at all. No, no religion covers up anything. <laughs> no, hell, no, no, it's just... Every religion does, but, you know, no, there's Catholics, but we're talking about a Catholic uh, in a horror movie, and I love religious horror movies. So uh, Father Gabriel Mort, uh, the Pope's personal exorcist, uh, he's a big, earthy, humorous, practical guy at times. Uh, in the beginning of the movie, he arrives at a small village in Italy where a man is allegedly possessed by a spirit, along with the local priest in the town. He enters the room where the man is tied up. And while exorcising this particular man, he refers to the spirit as Satan, and sends in a pig, which is brought in for the exorcism. As soon as Father Amorth manages to get the demon out of the possessed man, they shoot the pig in the face after he gets possessed, and that's it. I just I was like, wow, okay, we're starting off with a fucking shotgun blast to a pig. Like, that's, that's fun. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I like the fact that this movie does start off hot. You know, we're right the fuck in the thick of things, and, you know, you see from the beginning, though, the, the skepticism involved yeah. with him, mm-hmm. and that was something I like. He didn't just walk into this yeah. room, and it's like automatically like, oh, yes, the devil is here, and all this and that. No, he's actually saying, like, you know, like he's never spoken English before. Don't you have a TV? Like, all of these things. So, so for me, for starters, you know, the time period was something that I did not understand was going to be now, mm-hmm. uh, like, you know, in, in yeah. modern times, you know, I assumed mm-hmm. that the movie called The Pope's Exorcist, you know, I, I guess the easier way for me to say it would be, this is what I thought the synopsis of the film would be. I thought that the Pope gets possessed and that they no, have no. to call in the lead exorcist to perform an exorcism on the Pope. I don't know, in like the 1500s, 1600s, I was assuming this was totally going to be a period piece. And I mean like a period, period piece. Not mm-hmm. us kicking off in 1987 and Pat <laughs> yeah. Pro on a fucking scooter. And it's funny, as soon as I saw him on the scooter, I remembered you saying, oh yeah, Pat Russell Crowe on a scooter. And like I didn't put two and two together when you said it at the time, like that's what you meant. I assume mm-hmm. you meant something like out of this movie, not like within this film. <laughs> Oh, it was like, oh, shit, this is like now, okay. And it totally changes, like, my entire, like, perception of this film. It, it's amazing. Uh, yeah, and seeing Russell Crowe on this little fucking scooter just driving around fucking Rome and shit like that, it, it's fucking great. Um, but we later see a woman named Julia and her two children, Henry and Amy, moving into the San Sebastian Abbey that's being renovated, uh, renovated in Spain. Uh, the Abbey belonged to Julia's husband, who died a year prior in an accident, which resulted in Henry not speaking for over a year. Um, they've come to see the renovations uh, that are complete, and they could just sell it and then go back to America. Uh, Amy just doesn't really fucking want anything to do with it, but hopefully it's a quick fucking renovation, and they could just sell it, turn it, and go um, on their way. And then we cut back to Father Amor fucking rocking out to Faith No More. I was like, holy shit, and it's not epic. It's We Care A Lot. That's my favorite fucking Faith No More song. So when I heard it, I was like, that's, that's a fucking deep cut. Everybody wants fucking epic. I love We Care A Lot. Um, but yeah, uh, later... You the, know, I hear we, mm-hmm. we Care A Lot, man, and the first thing I'm thinking is, is 
Care Bears movie. So that, oh, that, that's yeah. what I was, you know, we care. We care a lot. We care. We care a lot. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, but this is a different well, song. Well, no, but it's just, yeah. It's a different song, but also it's just a fucking heavier guitar riff. Which I appreciate because it just goes fucking hard with with the fucking bass and the guitar. But anyway, uh, we see. Uh, I, don't know. I, I, uh, I, I I like uh, uh, yeah. Get set. What is it? You can't help it. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. And then they had a second one. The, what was there? There was the one. There was the one with the fish. That, were that like, was uh, epic. Okay, and then there was the other big video that they had. I can't remember what their other big hit was. They had two. They sounded similar, yeah. if I remember right. Or their videos looked yeah, similar. Yeah, I just... They did, and I remember uh, Epic because of that fish flopping around at the end of the movie. Uh, but later, uh, the exorcism incident from earlier gets Father Amorth in trouble with the church tribunal since he acted without permission from oh, superiors. Oh, four of the pieces. Oh, yeah, in the clouds, my friend. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you got me, man. Faces. Sorry. That fucking guy. Oh, God. <laughs> fucking, fucking... Totally like reliving my fucking, you know, this is what happened when I moved into New Jersey and fucking had cable TV. <laughs> These were the videos that were, like, playing at the time. So, like, they're, like, burn yeah. the fuck in my head. Faithful Moore was a big one on MTV back in the day. Um, but yeah. as I said, uh, he... Uh, Amorth meets with a tribunal member, a friendly bishop named uh, Lumumba, uh, but is a, there's also a vicious kind of American cardinal named Sullivan who is skeptical, skeptical about exorcisms and even demonic possession. He forces Amorth to talk in English, doesn't let him talk in Italian. Um, Amorth replies that evil does exist and that he did not perform an exorcism, but rather some psychological theater to help the mentally disturbed man. Disgusted by this whole tribunal, Amorth walks out. And the tribunal, even though they're screaming at him to come back, he's just done. Just love the fucking mic drop. Um, and just the fact that he gets the fucking coffee and he's like, nope, sugar is the fucking devil's work. I'll just take it like an espresso. Like it just, again, because I've learned a lot of Italian over the last year, I, I fucking could watch this almost without subtitles. And I just was like, oh, I finally watch a movie in Italian without subtitles. But anyway, um, back at San Sebastian Abbey, Workman. Uh, who are restoring this abbey so the family could sell it, leave after a fucking gas explosion. Uh, the leader of the group of workmen just basically says, fuck that, we're, we're leaving. We can't be here anymore. Good luck. Leaving Julia alone. And that's when Henry starts to act bizarrely. They take him to a hospital, and brain tests show these acting. There's nothing abnormal about what's going on. Uh, they give him a sedative in case he acts out. Um, but later at home, Henry asks for a priest. The local father, Esquivel, arrives, but Henry abuses the shit out of him and says, wrong priest, and fucking knocks him in Bro, the head. I fucking loved it. Man, the most, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. when, when, when they said he asked for the priest and they show him coming in, like, I immediately knew that he was not the one that he wanted. So, like, as he's walking into the room, like, in my head, all I'm praying is what's about to happen. You know, in my head, I'm like, man, I want him to, like, fuck this guy up a little bit. And, you know, and literally, like, be like, you know, that this isn't the guy that he wanted, you know. So so when they not only have him go flying the fuck out of the room, but then he also cut to the kid, he's like, wrong priest. <laughs> it was like, oh, shit. <laughs> yeah. go, like, sometimes this movie feels like it wants to go into, like, evil dead territory, you know. Yeah, it does. And it just has a lot of funny moments, uh, especially with uh, Amorth when he talks to Esquivel, you know, where he marks the page in the, the little Bible. 
And he's like, but this isn't Latin. He's like, yeah, but Latin's close enough to Spanish. Like, little shit like that just kind of I enjoyed. Um, but after this event, we cut back to the Vatican where the Pope played by fucking Franco Nero, the original OG Django. I always love seeing him in anything that he does. Um, he assigns Father Immort to the now-possessed Henry in Spain. Uh, this particular San Sebastian Abbey has given the church trouble in the past, so Amorth is going to have a study sesh up on this uh, abbey before he hops back onto a scooter and travels to Spain. I was like, this fucking guy went from fucking Italy to Spain on a fucking scooter. He's a badass. This is why he's a post-exorcist. He doesn't take a car, doesn't mm-hmm. take a carriage, takes a fucking scooter. <laughs> and, um, it's a Ferrari he, scooter, no less. It is. You know, so so that's, um, why, that's why we know it's so, so hardy. Mm-hmm. And, well, it could hold all that weight. And as you can see, it kind of dragged down a little bit when he's on it at a certain point. Um, but Amorth arrives, <laughs> and uh, he enlists Esquibel as an assistant, though Esquibel is untrained as an exorcist. Esquibel says he has heard of Amorth but hasn't read any of the books, and Amorth says, they're good books. You should read them. No, he's not going to do that. He doesn't have time. So Amorth visits Henry. <laughs> to give his opinion to Julia about his son. He's like, let me, let me check out your son. It could be something. It could be nothing, you know, but let me check. Um, so Amorth uses a religious medallion on Henry and watches the boy's eyes turn suddenly demonic. The demon then tells Amorth that he's here for the priest, and Amorth reminds him that he is free of sin because he confessed to Jesus Christ. Go fucking talk about Jesus Christ. The demon likes to shower. Um, so the demon <laughs> also reveals that he could see Amorth's nightmares, and we cut to a young Amorth, um, and we get a little bit more of what happens in this particular flashback, but uh, moving on, it's his nightmare, and Henry pukes up a dead red bird um, that comes into play later as part of the flashback. So later, Esquibel makes mistakes as a junior exorcist at first, including strangling the shit out of Henry after Henry antagonizes him about fucking the daughters of somebody in the congregation. You've been fucking the daughters of the congregation. Shut the fuck up, man. Like, just start strangling this fucking kid who looks like a 90-pound Dario Argento. This fucking poor kid. Doesn't want mm-hmm. to be eaten in a fucking month. But he's just... I love this kid actor as this possessed demon. Um, so during the first exorcism attempt... Uh, yeah, go ahead. Oh, no, no, no. I was going to say, I agree. He's got a... They, they did a good job casting him. He's got, like, a weird look about him. Um, you know, the, the daughter looks like that one girl from the Yellow Jackets uh, show, the one that plays uh, mm-hmm. the, the younger version of Juliette Lewis's character. Yes. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. You know, but, uh, but yeah, I, I, I feel like the, the all of the principal people involved here are, are solid solidly performing their tasks. You know, I know that uh, we've seen the uh, the mom, too, before. I didn't know until, obviously, after reading up on the film. But uh, she played mm-hmm. Wendy in... Uh, in uh, Dr. Sleep. In, yes, Dr. Sleep. And, uh, you know, so, so yeah, it's, it's nice to see her doing something. But, yeah, specifically the kid, which, you know, like I said, like whenever, when, when you have an exorcist-based movie... You know, mm-hmm. or any kind of exorcism-based movie, the, the the two main things that you need, you know, obviously you, you you need a believable exorcist. Mm-hmm. You know, the like the the other thing I feel right, like, and I know most mm-hmm. people will probably say like the other thing that you would need in this case would be the possessed, 
You need somebody that can look the part and perform the part. But, you know, I really don't feel like that's the important factor. The family members are actually the important ones. You know what I mean? You need to, mm-hmm. you need to feel the, the, the sympathy for them to make you want that character to be redeemed, to get the, the evil spirit out of said character. You know, so so I do feel like we're getting that from the mom, from the sister, um, and I, I think it's kind of like just a little bit of like a, a cherry on top that the kid looks like he does and, and actually does perform this well as, as, as on top of it all. You compared to the other movie that we got in 2023 called The Exorcist Believer. Um, you know, this, this I don't know what movie that is. Decent... No, you don't want to know. It's just it's, it's just not what we're talking about. I did but not anyway, that one. I'm an exorcist believer denier. I, I will just have to pretend that it doesn't exist like I do with a lot of movies that I don't like. But anyway, um, during the first exorcism attempt, Amorth uh, sees a girl in Rosalia that died. She wasn't saved by Amorth, and she'll come into play later. Uh, outside after the first attempt, Amorth runs outside and discovers a Vatican seal covering a well. Uh, so he attempts to open it using his scooter. Um, and then when Eskul Bell goes back inside to check on Henry, he gets part of his ear bitten off as both Amy and Julia are attacked in the house by unseen demons, causing Amor to run back in and bless the closet that Amy had been sucked into, uh, and Eskul Bell finds her fingernail in the scratch marks uh, that Amy had left behind. I was like, you got to be scratching real fucking hard <laughs> to lose your nail. Uh, but, you know, man, like any time we've ever seen that happen in a movie, it's just always like... I don't know. Like, I hate dragging my fingers on anything. So, like, the idea of, like, somebody, like, pulling, like, pulling my hands or, like, pulling me so hard that, like, when I drag my hands on the ground that it literally pulls my fingernails out. Oh, dude, when I was a little kid, I had a fucking dream where I, like, I peeled my toenails off, you know, because I saw this fucking, this one kid who had, like, uh, I remember I was at, like, camp, and this one dude had, like, hurt his foot and, like, I guess his toenail had died. So, like, he, like, twisted and, like, just peeled it right off. And, like, that just, like, stuck in my fucking head. And, like, literally, like, in the dream, like, I remember, like, it was the toenails. But then it was also, like, I grabbed the bottom of my foot and, like, peeled the flesh off the bottom of my foot. And, man, like, I remember waking up screaming bloody fucking murder mm. in my grandmother's house. You know, my aunts all came running in. They were all like, what happened? I'm freaking out, fucking crying, you know. I peeled off my foot. I peeled off, like, I'm fucking, like, hyperventilating, you know. They're, like, they're pulling off my socks. Like, you know, and because, again, like, you know, my, my, my aunts are kind of like my mom, you know. So they, they take everything and mm-hmm. fucking, you say that that's what happened, they're immediately thinking that's what happened. So they were all screaming already. Like, nobody's even looked at my foot yet. They were all just like, what? Oh, my God. Let me see. There's nothing wrong with my foot whatsoever, you know. They're like, how fucking stupid are you? You know, look what's wrong with you. Look, your foot's fine, you jackass. Now go back to bed. Um, But, yeah, uh, the fingernail peeling thing always gets me, man. Yeah, it just and it worked, and of course we're finding out that there is uh, the Vatican seal over the well. Um, that uh, investigation by Immorth later, um, but back in Rome, the post uh, the Pope is taken sick while reading documents about the San Sebastian Abbey, um, 
And then he's immediately hospitalized, uh, taken to the hospital, where he'll later succumb to a little bit of minor possession. Um, Amorth goes down to the bowels of the Abbey grounds and finds a complex sealed off by the church as demonically dangerous. He then finds that a founder of the Spanish Inquisition was possessed while being an exorcist, which led him to infiltrate the church and do many evils, including the Inquisition itself. Uh, Amorth finds the church covered this up and eventually finds the name of Henry's demon, uh, Asmodeus, which will assist the exorcism uh, when they find out his name and get the demon to say his name, which is how you end uh, demonic possession. Uh, also, uh, Amy is temporarily possessed until the demon attacks Julia and attempts to strangle both her and Amy to death. It's also revealed Asmodeus wants to kill Amorth because he is, in fact, the Pope's exorcist. Um, it was a great set piece, uh, this little underground part of the abbey, um, and you see the uh, exorcist in the cage, and Amorth uh, remarks that he was in that cage purposely. He wasn't locked in there. He was just trying to keep everything out. So he locked himself in there and swallowed the key uh, to get into another part of the, the underground complex. And, of course, I'm so sorry. He had to fucking dig the key out of the guy's stomach. Please forgive me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, listen, you know, the uh, fat crow's got to do what the fat crow's got to do. And sometimes you got to get up in the belly, you know? But yeah, I mean, you got to reach in there and you have to go because you want to get to the other part of where they need to go in this abbey. Um, and then uh, Amorth and Esquibel reveal to each other their own and uh, sins and absolve each other. Um, we found out that Amorth has guilt from surviving World War II as an Italian uh, partisan, and that Rosaria, uh, the girl that we saw earlier, asked for Amorth's help, but then ended up committing suicide when he did not help her enough. Her death led to sexual abuse allegations and cover-ups. No way. Um, but we later find out that Esquibel had also been having extramarital intercourse with a lot of young women in his clergy. So the, again... This is what you need to do with exorcists in an exorcism movie. Make them flawed fucking characters. Yeah. I mean, look, you know, it's uh, you know, the, the fact that Amorth was, was of age to have been involved with World War II. Um, you know, and yeah, he obviously, rather than make him, you know, one of those that, that fought, on the Axis side, they, they made him one of the revolutionaries. They made him somebody going up against the fascists. And, you know, mm-hmm. therefore, then you end up having, you know, the, the Nazis come in and, uh, and killing him and his buddies, you know, and showing, showing him then to be a coward. But this is a coward who, you know, obviously found this because now he's doing something that, you know, almost no other man on earth can do, which is, you know, go toe-to-toe with any denizen of the underworld and, and be able to fucking, you know, get these, these creatures banished from people and, and, and get them back to the plane that they, they are supposed to exist upon. Mm-hmm. And, you know, before they absolve uh, <clears throat> each other of their sins, uh, where Esquibel gives confession to Amorth, uh, I just really enjoy the fact that Amorth is like, well, the church is innocent in all this because they, they were trying to stop possessions. They had no choice but to cover this up. No, they're not the bad guys here. They're not. It's just, you know, they had to cover up what they had to do. And like, Well, no. Uh, they were killing people that weren't converting. <laughs> and he even says it in dialogue. Oh, God, all these bodies. These are the ones that weren't converted and they were killed. Like, well, what do you, what do you say about that, Amorth? 
nothing. No, he's, it's fine. They didn't want to convert, so they've got what's coming to them. Yeah, well, I mean, like, it's it's a weird one in which they do, uh, you know, like, this this is, like, the weird portion of the film in which I almost feel like there was, like, another script here somewhere where the idea was that the entirety of the church might have been infiltrated, you know? And I think, like, that's kind of where they wanted to go with it, maybe. Like, maybe there's a draft somewhere. Or maybe that was the plot of another film, and they were like, hey, you know, if we alter this a little bit, we can make this just about that fucking exorcist guy out of the Vatican. Um, you know, they just they just combined the two together. But, like, I feel like somewhere in this script was, like, you know, the idea was a bigger controversy, uh, a bigger uh, conspiracy in which, you know, you'd find out that back in the fucking hundreds, you know, this – exorcism was supposed to occur, this was supposed to be banished, but this evil never mm-hmm. got contained. You know, we only, they only thought that that evil got contained, and that instead that there's just layer upon layer of fucking evil that's now actually in the very Vatican. You know, the idea that the Pope's exorcist, you know, is actually working for the very embodiment of evil, like that now brings to question everything that this character does. I mean, you know, I know, unfortunately, some of this is like, this is based on like a true human being and, and his, his books and his stories, but like at this point, all I want is a whole bunch of fictional fucking storytelling going, like hitting along the levels of like the uh, what the Dan Brown series, you know, with fucking angels and demons and all that stuff. Oh yeah, Da Vinci Code. Yes, you know, like I I want that kind of level thing going on with like this because again, you know what it is. I'm loving Russell Crowe's performance here. I want to see so much. more of this character, but like you know, unfortunately, because they're basing him on whatever real shit that he wrote there's only so much that they can do well this i mean i don't know if this is an actual case i think that they kind of piecemealed it um together with a lot of what no of course not they, they, they're so honest and so real um but yeah there's so much to fucking talk about um with amorph's cases because he wrote a ton of books so you could adapt any one of those um there was a movie that came out a couple of years ago called uh, Deliver Us from Evil. Uh, and that was also about a former cop in New York that was an exorcist. And it was based on the true story about this guy that was a New York City cop and he became an exorcist uh, for the church. Um, the movie we covered that, didn't we? The book is great. No, we've never covered Deliver Us from Evil. Okay, then Talked I about saw it. that. In, and then I saw that in, in theaters. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Yeah, the, the, uh, the movie 2014 is with Eric Bono. Mm-hmm. And Joel McHale and all those guys. I mean, it's, they took a lot of liberties, but the actual book itself is kind of scary because it talks about these real cases that he went on and all these demons and shit. And then they kind of made it into an action movie, so it wasn't very good. But at least with, with The Pope's Exorcist, you're getting kind of the amalgamation of all these stories and fucking Russell Crowe speaking Italian. And then it's going cuckoo whenever he wants to have fun, you know. But anyway, um, so they, uh, Esquivel and uh, Amor's Bond. Um, Enduring the exorcism, they fail to exorcise Henry, and they have horrible visions of the women with whom they have failed. The exorcism succeeds only when Amorth offers himself up to be possessed by Asmodeus, which chimes with Henry's previously stating that he wants to destroy Amorth from within. So Esquibel gets Julia, Amy, and Henry out of the house while he takes away the crucifix from Amorth, 
Because Amorth knows what's about to fucking happen. He's about to be possessed by uh, Asmodeus, and he wants to fight for as long as he can. So everybody leaves the house, and this is when fucking this shit gets so much fun with Russell Crowe. Because he's running around, his fucking eyes are bleeding black, and he decides that he's not going to let this demon win, so he's going to fucking hang himself. And he wraps the rope around his fucking neck, jumps off you know, the balcony, and, of course, Asmodeus is like, well, not now, Morth. You're not going to go out that easily. And he's like, by the way, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to go that going way. this way. Oh, it was so fucking great when it just he couldn't get killed. And then he's like, you know what? I'm going to go to the Vatican. You're going to be the vessel. I used to go to the Vatican and tear shit up. And you just see Russell Crowe just staggering around like Frankenstein's monster while he's possessed. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, this is just, it's fun. It's so much well, fun. Well, you know what's funny, um, though, is, is like as he's wrapping the ro- rope around his throat, right? Like, during this attempt to kill himself, you know, he doesn't say much, you know, except for, for whatever we got going on on the demon end of things. But then on the next attempt, it's, you know, he makes sure to vocalize, and he's like, oh, if anything, I'll send, send us both to hell. You know, like, I think he should have <laughs> probably vocalized that the first time. Because, yeah. you know, like, as I'm watching this, like, in my head, I'm thinking... You know, he's condemning himself, like, based on their beliefs, he's condemning himself to hell if he does mm-hmm. this. And that may actually be exactly what the demon wants. It could be. Um, you know, and then we find out, like I had said, that the demon was going to kill Amorth because he's the Pope's exorcist, but then decided at the last second, I'm actually going to use you as a vessel to get into the Vatican and destroy from within and spread the evil, but it's not going to work because Esquivel returns uh, using the Latin he learned earlier from the, the Bible that Amorth had given him. And we also see that the Pope recovers, as so does Henry. Henry recovers as well, um, but I just like when Amorth and Esquivel are sitting down at the end and talking and, of course, having a little drink, and he's like, see, told you Latin was close to Spanish. It's true. That's how he learned. That's how he managed to get the evil to be banished. Um, it's, it's just fucking great. Um, and then you think, okay, well, it's over. You know, Henry is cured. The Pope, despite vomiting up blood, is going to be okay. Um, you know, everything seems to work. Then we find out that Esquibel and Amorth are returning back to Rome and find the skeptical American Bishop Sullivan has taken leave uh, in Guam. Uh, we didn't cover that, but he was in the church uh, when the uh, crucifix that hung up in the church decided to bleed, and it drove Sullivan insane. So he ends up going to Guam. That's the greatest place you could probably be, I'm sure. Where can I recover from this horrific fucking thing that happened? Go to Guam. Yeah, I'm sure it's healthy with beaches and resorts and a lot of sunshine. And, uh, you know, but that's where he goes. And uh, Sullivan has been replaced by La Bumba. Not La Bumba. I'm sorry. La Bumba. Um, (laughs) La Bumba. You know, not La Bumba. La Bumba. Um, And... I just I like in this particular scene they're showing Amorth and Escobel walking around this fucking Avengers style fucking like uh, building where it's all white mm-hmm. and have all these fucking priests walking around um, and Amorth and Escobel are admitted into this special church to archive all the mysterious events that are happening. Lumba tells them that they will be helping go to take hundreds of evil sites um, from this map they had found earlier that's shaped like the world and that's apparently where all the evil sites are. So they're going to have to go and kill all the demons and all the evil. Again, great way to fucking make this into a series, have Escobel and Amorth go around killing demons at all these sites. Um, but to combat the devil, Amorth joyfully says, we're going to hell. 
Of course. Like, hey, it should have been a freeze frame, and that's it. I would have loved if they jumped up in the air and just fucking high-fived each other, but it's a little bit more serious than that. Um, but then we see fucking Saturday Night Fever fucking Amorph walking down the fucking street in the Vatican you know, with his hat on, and we finally see the words on the screen that narrate bio- uh, biographical details about Amorph's papal exorcist career, including that he has written many books, and the books are good. Uh, if you stay for the after credits, you will see a photo of the real Amorph sticking out his tongue um, and along with his birth and death dates. So if you wanted to kind of see what he actually looks like, don't Google. Just stay for the final uh, post-credit sequence. <laughs> I don't think anybody did. I did, but, you know, that's because I always stay just in case. Because I'm always fucking afraid I'm going to miss a post-credit scene. doesn't matter what the fucking movie is. could be a fucking cartoon. I'm like, oh, God, I'm going to miss a post-credit sequence. So I stay until the very end. That's the moviegoer that I am. Don't miss any trailers. Don't miss any after credits. But <clears throat> so that was the Pope's Exorcist from 2023. A great pick from the Ghoul, um, and one of the movies that made my top ten list uh, for 2023. A sequel's in the works. Uh, not that I heard. In the works. Oh no! They said it got announced. Um, oh, did it? And it's yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, you know, Crow, Fat Crow, is supposed to to reprise his role. So I mean, look, the movie made. You know, like we always say with everything, if the movie makes money. You're gonna get it. This is an eighteen million dollar budget that made seventy seven million. Did decent in the States, but you know, overall did did very well amongst, you know, the, the, the rest of the world. Um you know, which is which is exactly the kind of thing that they want. You know, it did uh twenty mil mm-hmm. here. So you 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 beat your budget just here alone, but then you went and made another yeah. fifty seven mil all around the world, you know, because it's Russell Crowe. Mm-hmm. And that's what he does. He gets in his tugboat and he fucking fights. He fights around oh, come on, the world. Let's go, Tugger. Let's fucking I just fight. would love the fucking live action movie that. I would love a live action Tugger movie with Russell Crowe dressed up like a fucking captain and you just have the fucking boat. All right, Tugger. And it's just, he gained more weight, which would be awesome because, like, we had talked about last week when you announced this movie. Of course, Unhinged is another great Russell Crowe movie, but he's just so fucking overweight in that movie. Breathing heavy the entire mm-hmm. time, but he's a fucking psychopath. And I think that, it's improved that, because he's gained weight. That's going to be one that comes up, you know, probably this year. You know, I kind of have some, some ideas yeah. of what I'm going to be working with this year. Uh, you know, I know, know things, uh, things are in flux. Things got changed. We lost our monkey. Um, mm. and, and, you know, and we know that the Dean... You know the dean comes and goes as he pleases. Uh, he, he's often not not going to be doing his thing, you know. And then he'll be here for a couple of weeks or whatever. So, so you know what? This is last year might have been some fun torturing you, but I think this year <laughs> I'm just going to pick movies that I've either really, really badly wanted to see or films that I just really, really love. So, you know, I, I'm kind of going going that route with it. And uh, yeah, no, no, it's, I know it's what you did last time. And uh, you know, like I said, un- Unhinged will, uh, will definitely be one of them. I like Fat Crow, and we're going to continue to to see Fat Crow. Well, and I mean that is what I've done in the past, but I think I like the fact that you're doing it for 2024. You're you're making it a year of seeing movies that you really want to see or putting out movies that you really fucking love. Um, I love that, and I'm looking forward to your choices, um, you know, in the future. And I'm looking forward to mine because there's a lot of good movies coming out, um, especially on Shutter, which is where our movie next week that the Demonic Dean is going to present to us can be found, uh, is Suitable Flesh, directed by Joe Lynch. 
Um, I won't say anything more than that, but it's actually a movie that I saw last year. Didn't quite make the top ten list because there were so many other movies, but I like it. So we'll have the Dean back. He can let us know about how his basketball game went. He can let us know what he thought about the movie. Um, and we'll find out if his flesh is suitable. So we can stay tuned for that next week on the show. Indeed, indeed. I mean, here's, here's another little fun fact about the Pope's Exorcist. Uh, sure, <laughs> Currently, uh, in the category of uh, for, for the Golden Raspberries, both worst actor <laughs> and worst supporting actor, you have Russell Crowe oh. and Franco Nero. Uh, yes, That's indeed. fucking yes, so indeed. wrong. They, the Razzie sometimes the, gets uh, you drunk. The, the Razzie. <laughs> Whatever, but man. Honestly, they mean. just... They just don't yeah. understand the greatness that is fat grow. Okay, so they don't whatever. Get they, they can eat a bag He's of got a beard. He's out of shape. He's fucking exhausted. He's going cuckoo every five minutes when he's talking to people. And he's just having a great time doing these movies, running around like fucking son at the end. And in on him, she's going around and fucking destroying woman's life. He's living his best life right now, I think, Russell Crowe. I mean, he's going to have another Pope's Exorcist movie. Um, he was just in Thor, Love, and Thunder the previous year. Uh, where he played Zeus, but a fat Zeus, which is fucking brilliant. So he's up prancing around, prancing around, fucking. <laughs> okay, dude, when it came down, he's all like, dee, 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 dee. oh, fucking A, man. I love it. I love uh, it. Just, it was his fucking lightning bolts everywhere. Part the best part of the fucking movie was when he showed up. And even the fucking chest plate that he was wearing was fucking huge, just so it could show off his gut. Like, you know, it's just like, oh, they even mm-hmm. did that right. So that's great. Um, but, yeah, so anyway, uh, next week, the Dean will be back. Uh, we'll have our Royal Rumble match uh, recap, which I'm sure the Dean's going to love, but we have to talk about it. It's some fucking Royal Rumble. We're on the road to WrestleMania. So why don't you go ahead and send yourself off? <laughs> Stay scared, everybody. Stay scared. As for me, as I always say, I'm your old pal, the King of Horror, Andy G. Thanking you so much for listening to this episode of the show. Hail Satan. Hail yourselves. Hail Odorous. Watch horror movies, keep America strong. And you know what? Hail fucking Fat Crow and hail Osmodius too. They did a great job tonight in The Pope's Exorcist. So I'm all about Osmodius and Fat Crow. Looking forward to seeing them in the future in more Exorcist movies. But we'll see you back here next week for Civil Flesh. Give me your titties, mommy. <laughs> <laughs>